John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Jude, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. I, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about salvation that we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. The word of God for you, me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Pastor Jeremy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I have a simple prayer, Lord, as I need your help. I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill my words with power. May they be your words, filled with grace and truth. Father, for each one here, Lord, speak. For your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus. Let God's people see, amen. amen. It's always moving to be here on All Saints Sunday and read the names of those saints who've gone on before us into heaven. They beat us there, as a friend of mine likes to say, who's very competitive and wants to be first at everything. But they beat us there. That's one way to look at it. These are the saints that have gone on before. and I have one favorite joke that I tell about saints. I shared it with the staff. I heard Jeremy laugh. Jeremy's got a great laugh, by the way. Let's see if I can get him to laugh again today. There were two very wealthy brothers who were members of the same church in town. They rarely attended. They lived ungodly lives. Both were unscrupulous in their business dealings, dishonest and greedy, and really lived wicked lives. One of the brothers suddenly died, and the pastor was asked to do his funeral. The other brother went to the pastor with an envelope and said, Pastor, I have, in, I have in this envelope all the money you need to build this brand new sanctuary. And all I demand is that you get up at my brother's funeral and say, this man was a saint. Well, the pastor, who wanted to help the church out but couldn't figure out how to keep his integrity, he finally had this delicious idea so he gave the unscrupulous brother his word, took the check, and at the funeral he stood up and he said about the deceased these words. This man was an ungodly sinner, greedy, and lived a wicked life. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. I love that joke. That's a great joke. We have a very poor understanding of what a saint is. 
I think it's because we're influenced by two things, Roman Catholic Church and our culture. Roman Catholic Church uh, erroneously teaches that you're a saint if you can show heroic virtue, that's part of the standard, and do two miracles. So they name people saints and then they pray to the saints. That's unbiblical. But the culture we live in also does something unbiblical. The culture believes that a saint is someone, or they paint a picture of someone, who lives a pure and, and holy life, never making a mistake. And in other words, sometimes the culture will disdain them and say they are holier-than-thou people. That's not what a saint is either. If you examine the word saint in the Bible you'll discover a completely different understanding of the biblical truth of what a saint is. So, I did a word search this week. I looked up in the New International Version, the word saint, and I found it occurs absolutely zero times. that shock you? Then I looked up in the New King James, and the word saint occurs 98 times. So what does this tell you? It tells you that those interpreters have a bias and a disagreement on how to interpret some words in Greek and Hebrew and get to the word saint. In the New International Version, you'll never find the word. In the New King James Version, you'll find it a lot. So, is there a place in the Bible that actually defines the word saint? So you know what it is. Oh, yes, there is. Pastor Jeremy just read it. The definition of a saint is in Jude chapter 1, and there's only one chapter, verse 1. And it tells us, this is the half-brother of Jesus, though he doesn't call himself that. He says, I'm the brother of James, which is the other half-brother of Jesus, and there's a couple of more. So James writes this powerful letter where he defines a saint in the first verse, then he exhorts the saints to fulfill their purpose. That's the second verse. And then in verses 3 and 4, he says that there are people that the saints better watch out for and better expose and oppose even in the church. So what Jude has to say about saints is pretty important. So let's jump in. Let's break it down. Jude, the first chapter he defines what a saint is. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is Jude, who's a half-brother of Jesus, but he describes himself as a bondservant. In the Greek, this is a word that could be translated as a slave, but it's really better understood here. He's a servant of Jesus. To those who are called to those who are sanctified by God the Father, to those who are preserved in Jesus Christ. You just got your definition of a saint. Called, sanctified by God, preserved in Jesus Christ. Let's go a little deeper to be called. Over and over in the New Testament epistles of Paul, Paul greets the church and he calls them the saints. Sometimes in the New International Version, it will say the holy ones of God. But he'll describe the people that are members of the church as the saints. 
greet the saints. Sometimes he'll even name some of the saints, people you've never heard of, people we don't know anything about other than their name pops up here. They are a saint. They're a believer. Here's an example from the church in Corinth. Paul writes, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So what's it mean to be called? It means that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon you, somehow, the same invitation that Jesus gave his original 12 disciples. And the Holy Spirit has brought you to a place of decision where you have to decide to take up your cross and follow Jesus or turn your back and deny him. It's your choice. A saint is someone who made the choice to take up their cross and to follow Jesus. That means they answered God's call to be saved. Then, after you understand that a saint is simply a follower, a believer, Jude says that they are sanctified by God the Father. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're set apart. All the items on that altar table right there are all about Jesus, and they're all set apart. No one in the church can use any of those items for any other purpose. They're set apart. They're sanctified. They're consecrated. So are you when you come to Christ. You're set apart. You're being sanctified. You have a purpose to serve the Lord. That's your only purpose. So it says here that you're sanctified by God the Father. When you repent of sin and you profess your faith in Christ alone for salvation, the Bible says you are justified by grace through faith. We call that being born again. Right after it says that in John 3.16, it defines what born again is. It says born of the Spirit. There's a divine transaction that occurs when this happens in which Christ takes your sins upon himself and then gives you the righteousness of Christ. It's credited to your account. From the Father's vantage point, you have the righteousness of Christ. That's why you're allowed to stand in heaven because there will be no one unrighteous in heaven. But everyone in heaven has the righteousness of Christ. Here's a diagram to illustrate this. The Bible says that God made Jesus to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus takes our sin and we receive his righteousness. Theologically, this transaction, which is by faith, is called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. You'll probably never use that word imputed. But it's a theological word that's important. It simply means that the righteousness of Christ is credited to your account as a believer. And if you want to know the roots of that, all you have to do is go to the Old Testament and look at the life of Abraham, who believed God by faith, and the Bible says it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham's life is a life of faith. This doctrine of imputed righteousness is where we get this idea of justification by faith. 
But there's another part of this. The other side of the coin is you don't just have imputed righteousness. That is, you don't just receive the righteousness of Christ, but it's also imparted to you. It's a gracious gift of God so that you are being sanctified. You're set apart, but also you're growing in holiness. Wesley called it going on to perfection. And this is the work of sanctification and the work of sanctifying grace by the Holy Spirit. All of this stuff is deep theological stuff that they send you to seminary for, and you pay them $45,000, and you get a degree, you put it on the wall, and nobody ever asks you. Pastor Jeremy, they will never ask you the difference between imputed and imparted righteousness. But it's so important, so let me illustrate in the best way I know how. Imagine you are traded, you're a football player, you're traded from the Philadelphia Eagles, a truly evil, evil team. And you're traded to God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. And once you're traded, you sign a contract. It's a valid contract. Are you a better football player yet? No, not at all. But you've changed teams. You're now on a different team. They give you a jersey, silver and blue. And you, you might think of that as the righteousness of God upon you on his team. You're declared to be on the team. You're declared to be a Dallas Cowboy. You're given a playbook to memorize like the Bible. The coach encourages you to get in shape. You know the playbook. You better know it. And you better get ready to play because your performance matters, especially concerning future contracts. So far, though, you've never played a down. So far, you only have imputed righteousness. It was given to you. You might consider it part of the position of being on the team. Now, you're not better at playing the game. You need to practice. You, you need to perform well. But none of that has to do with the fact that you're on the team. You've signed a contract. There's a transaction that's been made. You are on God's team. And you have imputed righteousness you are declared righteous. You're declared to be a Dallas Cowboy. There's a difference, though, between the imputed righteousness and imparted. To get imparted righteousness, you have to cooperate with the coach, the Holy Spirit. And you have to improve. You have to get better. You have to perform better. You have to let the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's in you work out so that you are the best cowboy you can be and live a cowboy life to truly live out the righteousness that's been given to you. So you wear the jersey of God's team, but to really live it out, you got to practice and perform better. That's the difference between justifying grace, sanctifying grace. The Bible... Let me say it this way. You are not just justified. You're also sanctified. You're not just declared righteous and forgiven, but you're set apart to grow in holiness through sanctifying grace. John Wesley said it this way. Justification is what God does for us. Sanctification is what God does in us. We are transformed inwardly renewed by the very power of God, the Holy Spirit. And this transformation, as the result of the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, transforms us in very real ways so that we are better 
at playing the game of life. Yes, Jude said all of that in one verse. You know what? Jude keeps going. He says, y'all are preserved in Christ. My favorite preserves is strawberry preserves. Can I get an amen? Good stuff. Smuckers, Welch's, I don't care. Strawberry preserves, that's my go-to preserves. Preserves that are spoken of by Jude have nothing to do with food. Instead, if you've ever taken something and put it in a ball jar and sealed that jar, Karen and I grew cucumbers and we used to can them and you seal the jar so it's preserved. That's the idea theologically that you are preserved in your faith as a believer. And it says in the Bible, the reason for it, and I want to read the verse from 1 Thessalonians 3, so that Jesus may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father when at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And who's he coming with? All his saints. Hallelujah. All these people whose names we read one day, the Bible says he'll be coming with those people, with his saints, to rightfully rule. Jude goes on in the next verse. He says, saints, you have a purpose. You have a reason for being. You're not just called. You're not just sealed. You also have been given something by special delivery. Jude says, quote, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Special delivery. Saints, your purpose is to defend the faith, to share the gospel, the gospel that says Christ died for us. Because of his sacrifice, he has redeemed us who come to faith in him, and he's given us his spirit. That's the gospel. We have been given this gospel and the faith upon which we stand to defend it. We're the defenders of the faith. And then Jude goes on and he says in verse 4 that we have opposition. There are even people in the church that oppose us. shouldn't be that way, but it's always been that way. Here's what he wrote in verse 4. Certain men have crept in to the church unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. These are ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I call these people, because that's what Jude called them, creepers. I don't mean they're creepy. They may look great on the outside. What's creepy is what they're teaching is false doctrine. They're not defending the faith. They're trying to destroy the faith. And one of the main things that they're doing is they're coming against Romans chapter 6, verse 1 that says, rhetorically, Paul writes, should you continue in sin that grace should abound. Well, if you read the rest of Jude's letter, you'll find these false teachers were teaching that very thing. They were teaching people that you can go ahead and sin, you can go ahead and rely on the grace of God, because the grace of God is going to cover all your sins. So go ahead and sin. It doesn't matter. That's false teaching. 
And Jude was coming against it. And one more thing he came against was that they were teaching that Jesus was not God in the flesh. There's, there's a false teaching today and has always been there, even in the church, that denies that Jesus is Lord. They'll go so far as to say he's a prophet, a good guy, did miracles, a teacher, a rabbi. My friends, that ain't good enough. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And when he died on the cross for us, he laid down his life for us. And he is the only way of salvation. There is no other. The bottom line is this. A saint is nothing more than a believer, a Christian, who has the imputed righteousness of Christ. So you stand in the position of being forgiven and cleansed from sin. And then you're striving for Christian perfection through sanctifying grace. That's a saint. Saint's not, some, not somebody that's done a couple of miracles. You can't pray to one. A saint, my friends, I'm looking at them. I'm looking at saints. I'm looking at saints. Jeremy led us in the Apostles' Creed earlier. There's a, a clause that says we believe in the communion of the saints. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean the Holy Communion we're about to share in. doesn't mean that sacrament. Instead, it means two things. One, the fellowship that we have in Christ. And then secondly, the fellowship that's had in heaven when you die to go be with the Lord. Both times, they mean, though, a true, real fellowship where you support one another and love one another and care about one another. That's the idea here of the communion of the saints. You're either a saint now on the earth or you're a saint in heaven. This past week, I had to spend a couple days back in the area where I once served as pastor for nine years. One of their members died. His, late, his name is Luke Worry. And I had a world of respect and love for Luke Worry. He was my right-hand man at the church. He was the board of trustee chair. He, he was the building and grounds person. I asked Luke to do something. I only had to ask him once it was done. Candy, similar to you. It's amazing. Luke, however, had an amazing job where he was the manager of one of the biggest plants in the county, a company called Tricora, where he had over 100 employees that reported to him. It was an amazing thing to do his funeral in Silsby, Texas at Bruce Arts Mortuary this week because half of the entire funeral home were filled with men in their work uniform. They closed down the plant, and all the men came, well, women too, and they filled up half the place, over 150 workers. And I got to hear some of the testimonies, and they told me what I already knew. Luke had their respect. You know why? Because he lived out his faith. And one of the things he did that was so remarkable, and I heard it from one man after another man, I heard one guy get up and say, Luke gave me a second chance or I wouldn't be here today. And that was Luke. Luke believed in a God of a second chance and then some. Let me 
tell you about one particular man that was at the funeral that Luke gave a second chance to. He was also a member of the church I served. His name was Donnie Riggs. After work one day, Donnie got on his motorcycle. He left work. He was going too fast. He went over the hill less than a mile away from work. A van had stopped in the road, and Donnie ran smack dab, dab into the van. He almost didn't live. We prayed for Donnie. The church prayed for Donnie. I had just done Donnie's wedding. He was newly married, and we thought he wasn't going to make it, but the Lord brought him through it. But Donnie lost the use of his right arm. He couldn't use it anymore. It, to this day, it just hangs there. A lot of other employers would have just dismissed Donnie and said he can't do the job anymore because you need two good arms to do what needs to be done. Luke, though, figured out a way for this young man to work with one arm. They figured out a way so he could keep his job, and they held his job until he could get back to work because Luke believed in a God of a second chance and then some. That's the kind of saint all of us should be. Luke's death hit me pretty hard this week. Luke is my age. His wife was out of town on business, and Luke just slumped over dead in the kitchen, instantly dead. All of us need to be aware that the Lord may take us at any moment. And then we'll not be the saints on earth, we'll be the saints in heaven. And then it'll be too late to do whatever we could do for Jesus. Saints, I'm talking to you. The Lord has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for this church. He's got a plan of evangelism. And it's you. And there is no plan B. God only has a plan A. You are to be his witnesses. You are to be the saints to make a difference in this community. To make a difference like Luke did in Lumberton, Texas. Make a difference here by being involved in your community, by loving your family, by doing whatever God calls you to do. You are the called, the preserved, and the ones to defend the faith. Christ is counting on you. Saints, we're blessed to have a great fellowship here. We'll be blessed to have a great fellowship in heaven. But part of this fellowship is for each of us to do our part and to live out that gospel that's changed our lives. All saints, hallelujah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the people that have impacted our lives, these saints that have gone before us, some named today. These saints in heaven, we thank you for that communion. But Lord, here on earth, we're about to gather around your table. And I pray that we would be as faithful as those who've inspired us. Lord, let us be inspired around this table, knowing that your Holy Spirit's at work in our life so that we can celebrate today that we are redeemed. But Father, there may be a person here today, and they can't honestly say that they are a saint because they've never given their life to you. They've never come to faith. 
Maybe they've been close. Maybe they did it, and then they walked away from you, and they've been unfaithful. Father, I just pray for whoever might find themselves here today, having heard this message, and where they need to go is to repent of their sin and receive your Savior and rededicate their life to you. And I pray for them that today would be the day of their salvation, that this day and on they would be the saint that, they've, that you've called them to be, Father. Let that be true for all of us. I pray in the name of Jesus for that. Thank you for listening with us. Amen. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.